I'm going to miss you this summer. I'm going to miss uh, so much about this community of faith. I'm going to miss uh, children's sermons like that, and I'm going to miss hearing the wisdom and the faith of our little ones. I'm going to uh, miss not being here when John Rutter uh, locks down this sanctuary and you record just in a couple weeks. And I'm going to miss uh, the times that you're going to gather at table and at font. But mainly, I'm just going to miss being with you. And I want you to know that. Someone uh, asked me in one of my sabbatical presentations, uh, what are the two questions? Do you have a question that you're carrying with you into this sabbatical season? I said, I, I really have two. The first question is, um, who is Matthew Ruffner beyond all of this? You know, beyond the titles and the sermons and the speaking and walking into a room and praying and all of that. And the second question is this, who is Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church outside of their senior pastor? I think those are the two questions that we all have to wrestle with throughout our lives. They're really questions of significance, of meaning, of purpose. We're in a series right now uh, entitled Wrestling with Belonging, and today uh, we're going to be focused on wrestling with our significance. Because if we're really honest, we all, we all want to be significant. We all want to be important. And I believe the widow in our text today reveals something very important for all of us, and it's taken me a long time to learn this. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So he sat down, that's Jesus. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. And many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. And he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on friends this is the word of the lord thanks be to god will you pray with me hover here hover here oh god just as you hovered over the waters of creation Reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words that they would be your word to us here and your word to us right now. And breathe new life, O oh God, into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh God, for you are our rock. And you are our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. It was mid-morning on May the 15th, 2014. The Ruffner family was uh, only a party of three at that time, and we were wrapping up a vacation at the beach. 
We had just come in uh, from the water and we're beginning to uh, pack up our items to catch our flight back to Atlanta. And I thought, hey, I'll check my email before we take off. And there in my inbox was a message from someone that I had never met. He introduced himself as Mark Melson and he said he was the senior pastor of, or he was the, uh, he was not the senior pastor, he was the chair of the senior pastor search committee for a church in Dallas called Preston Hollow. I emailed him back and that email led to another email and then eventually to a phone call that led to another phone call that led to a visit and then a whole lot of bobbing and weaving and ultimately to me standing right here in this very pulpit for the first time on April the 19th, 2015. I preached a sermon that morning uh, that invited us to know that God's grace and love was not contractual, but it was a covenant. And I illustrated that point by telling you and sharing with you, it was in the fourth grade when I learned universal sign language and used it at the back of a bus, and it got me kicked off of that bus (laughs) and suspended. And I told you the story of how I knew God's covenant love in the form of my mother who walked with me to and from school every single day for three days. And looking back on it now, it really was just a sign of things to come, was it not? Us all living and learning that God's love is in fact not contractual, but it's a covenant. Transitions always have a way of inviting us into deeper reflection. (laughs) I have to tell you, uh, the last two months, as I knew this day was coming, um, I found myself just rolling over the last seven and a half years of ministry with you. I can't stop thinking about the ways that you have allowed not only me, but all of your pastors to be your pastors. You invite us into your lives on the very best days of your lives. You know, uh, when you hold that grandbaby for the first time or that great-grandbaby, or when um, you stand right here and you make vows to love one another in the face of a future that is completely unknown, or uh, when you finally get that next job, And you've shared with me, you know, you hated that other job and you just didn't know if another one was coming and you finally get that new job. You invite us into the worst moments of your life uh, when tragedy strikes and you uh, experience an unspeakable loss or when you walk alongside of a parent who's entered their final season or when you've lost a loved one or a child or a marriage or a relationship You invite us into the best days of your lives and the worst days of your lives and every day in between. And moments such as these just provide the perspective that we often miss. Such a privilege to be your pastor. And our lives, even the hard parts and the good parts and the ordinary parts are actually holy. It's all been holy these last seven and a half years, and 
yet it's been a bit messy at times, you know. Turns out that's just the way it works. For something to be holy, it is also going to be messy. Though, I need you to know that I've had to learn how to love the messy parts. When I first arrived uh, at Preston Hollow, I, I so wanted to prove to you that I could be your pastor. I wanted to prove to you that I was uh, worthy of the risk that you took to call some 31-year-old kid from Atlanta. I wanted to prove to you that I could run a, you know, an efficient session meeting. I wanted to prove to you that I could preach a sermon not all the time, but just enough that you would allow me to keep doing it, you know? I wanted to prove to you that I could hold the space of memorial services and weddings. I wanted to prove to my family that it was worth leaving everything behind and moving to Dallas. I wanted to prove that we had, in fact, risked something big for something good from being really honest, I just wanted Sarah and Olivia to be proud of me, you know? Which, uh, all of this is really a, a way of saying that I was trying to prove all of this to myself. Because the ego, it, it plays, plays tricks on us all the time. The ego hardwires us to believe that we have to earn it, that we have to prove it, that we have to achieve it. I mean, our egos, they don't like messy. Even the word messy to some of you right now bothers you because you think, I don't do messy. I mean, I'll clean up a mess, but I don't do messy. Our egos, we don't like messy because messy can be embarrassing. Messy can be anxiety provoking. I mean, when things are a mess, we feel vulnerable. I mean, we can feel exposed. I mean, it doesn't take much of a mess to feel that way, I mean, just the littlest, tiniest of things. You're at the grocery store, aisle nine. You need marinara. You reach over and you grab the marinara sauce right off the shelf. You've done it a thousand times. And just as you go to turn and put that marinara right in the cart, you see it. Somewhere in the middle of putting it in the cart, it slips out of your hands. And you see it mid-air, and you think, oh no, <laughs> this is not going to be good. And before you know it, it hits the floor, the glass smashes, marinara sauce goes everywhere, and you look up to see that you have scared everybody that you were sharing aisle nine with, and you are standing in the middle of marinara. Internally, you are thinking, why do I have to be so, such a klutz? I mean, I've put marinara in the cart a thousand times. You're saying that to yourself while out loud you're saying to everyone in the aisle, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. This is so embarrassing. And the only thing that interrupts all of that is the loudspeaker overhead that says, can we get clean up on aisle nine, please? Clean up on aisle nine. Before you know it, the cleanup crew has arrived. They've teleported. They're right there. They find you standing in the middle of the marinara. And you think, this is just terrible. 
oh yeah, we don't like messy. We don't like messy because it, it, it exposes all of the ways we feel vulnerable. It, it, it exposes all the things that we like to keep at bay. It reveals what we want the world to not know about us. I think that's why Richard Rohr prays every morning for two good humiliations every single day. He prays for two good humiliations every single day to expose the false narrative that our ego has been feeding us our whole lives. We have to prove it. I am good enough. I've got to earn it. I've got to keep it all together for the sake of this family, which is always a limited belief. It's a limited belief because that ego is telling us a narrative that is completely at odds with who we know God to be. It's a limited belief that says you got to earn God's love. You've got to prove your belovedness. You've got to show that you're worthy of God's grace. It's a limited belief. Uh, the treasury and the temple in Jerusalem... Uh, it was located uh, outside the temple. It was actually in a court uh, known as the Court of Women. Uh, the Court of Women was the boundary marker for women in the temple. Women could not go any further than the Court of Women at the temple. Inside the Court of Women, there were uh, 13 wooden treasury chests. Uh, they lined the inner walls there of the court. The treasury chests, uh, depending on their size, uh, size, they were large wooden boxes. And the smallest one would have um, a trumpet that was placed, you know, screwed into the top of the top of the treasury box. A wide part of the trumpet out. Larger boxes would have three of those trumpets screwed into the top. There would be 13 treasury boxes lining those inner walls, and those trumpets created a funnel at the top of each one of those wooden boxes so that when you threw coins in there, um, there was no going back. You couldn't stick your hand in and go, no, I was being a little generous today. Nope, once it was in the box, it was there to stay. But it also meant that if you were to make a large offering in one of those treasury boxes, you would create a thunderous sound. Those metal coins would hit one another. They would hit that brass trumpet, and it, you could hear it just sliding all the way down into that large wooden box. I mean, it made quite a show. It also signaled to everyone who was watching you or who was within earshot just how much money you had put in. The ego, it loves every part of that. I mean, the ego loves the sound of a, of a large offering. Oh, the ego loves the, the thunderous commotion that it provides, proving to everyone who could see you standing there in your finest robe, everyone who could hear all of that money going through the trumpet, that you had earned enough to be able to put that much of an offering in the box. And even more, it was a sign of your faithfulness. I mean, that's how much you trusted God. That revealed just how much God had blessed you. I mean, 
there's no way to make an offering and make that much noise and not want the whole world to know I'm significant. I've arrived. Jesus uh, warns us that our egos love such an offering. Several different places in the script, uh, scriptures, Jesus says, uh, when therefore you give alms, do not sound the trumpet. Do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. The widow in our text uh, represents all that the ego most resists. The widow represents all the ego seeks to hide from the world. You'll remember that widows during that time, they have no status, no power, and almost always no wealth, which meant that they also had no protections. They were vulnerable, stripped of status, and forever defined by society, by what they had lost. Quite literally, a widow represents someone who has lost it all. So when the widow goes to the temple to make her offering, um, they didn't even notice her. I mean, they wouldn't even think that they should be paying attention to her. They don't notice her because I don't think they actually want to be in touch with her. I mean, they don't want to be in touch with a widow, which is another way of saying they don't want to be in touch with the widow inside of them. They don't want to be in touch with the parts of themselves that that widow embodies the weak, the vulnerable, the lowly parts that they have worked so hard to make sure that the world does not see. I mean, they had earned their way. They have proven in their offering that that doesn't reside in here. I've learned a lot from widows over the years. A number of widows right here at Preston Hollow Church. And widows uh, have taught me so many things. They've taught me that you can grow up but never grow into yourself. There's a difference. Widows have taught me that there's a freedom that comes after everything has been stripped away. Because when everything is finally stripped away, you can finally begin living as you truly are, rather than mere, merely spending your entire life playing the part that someone else asked you to play. Widows have taught me, uh, when you lose it all, uh, you come to know what matters most. When you lose everything, the only thing that actually matters is how you love and care and serve those closest to you. Widows, uh, they know, they've taught me this, they know that their worth and connection to God can never be broken. I mean, not even by death. Widows have taught me, oh, there's always life on the other side of death. Think about it. It's why they're a widow they're standing on this side of life. 
Oh, widows, they, they know. I mean, they know that it's, uh, oh, it's messy, it's hard. Widows know that you got to go through the messiness, though, because there's greater holiness waiting for you. So when the widow, uh, she steps up and she drops uh, her two might into the brass trumpet, it sounds like a gift. It sounds like a gift not from a part that she's playing, but from her vulnerable and holy and true self. And she embodies in that offering that that's the only gift that God is ever interested in. You, stripped of all the parts that you thought you had to play, you, living as you truly are, as God created you to be. But a path to that true self is hard. A path to that kind of freedom, a widow will tell you it's messy, but it's also holy. Last week I had lunch uh, with a friend of mine. I had not seen him since uh, COVID. On this side of COVID, uh, one of his children had graduated. The other had just graduated uh, from college. He and his wife, when they dropped their youngest off at college, he said they came back home, they looked at one another, and they said, what do we do now? I wonder who we are after all this. He said they started um, asking themselves that question, and they got, a, they got a counselor. He said, you know, we've been going to this counselor every other week, and I've been learning a lot about myself and my wife. It um, inspired him to, to actually go a little deeper. He said, I've actually been doing some reading and, and digging into some of my own stuff. He said, I'm starting to discover that I've spent a, a large part of my life being someone that I'm actually not. And he said, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this to you, Matthew. I'm like almost 60 years old, and I realized I spent most of my life not living as I truly am. I said, is that why you have such a big beard now? He said, yes. He said, but what I'm coming to discover is I really like who I am. I don't want to pretend anymore. I want my wife to be in love with me, who I, who I am. And I want to love her for who she is. I want my work to matter. I don't, I don't think I'm going to go back. And I said, to what? And he said, I don't think I'm going to go back to being anybody else. I said, good. Because I think the only thing God wants you to be is who you truly are. Uh, after we had paid our check, we were walking out of the restaurant, and his car was over there, there, and my car was this direction, and he got about 100 yards away, and I said, hey, buddy. And he said, yeah. I said, I want to speak behalf on I want to speak on behalf of all of us and just say this. We're really glad you finally arrived. 
We've been wanting and waiting for the real you the whole time. Thank God you're finally here. He turned around and he bowed and he walked away. Friends, I could say that to him that day because I have come to see that in all of my seeking to prove, prove that I could be your pastor or preacher or moderator or any of that, I could see that God actually never asked for me to prove anything. In fact, the only thing that God most desired was for me to become a widow. To become a widow, to a widow to trying to prove and achieve my own worth. A widow to thinking that I could earn my belovedness or my belonging. Oh no, I had to let all that proving die, you know to come to see and learn to love the messy parts. And only then could I know that there was, in fact, life on the other side of that death. A greater life. My dear friends, I believe that with every fiber of my being, what God most wants is for us all to become widows. To let those narratives and all of that proving, just let it die. Become a widow to all the parts you've played throughout your whole life that didn't feel like it was actually you. Let it die. Become a widow to trying to be anything other than who God created you to be. Because you don't have to earn God's love. You already belong. There's nothing you could ever do to achieve God's grace. God has loved you when you can't even love yourself. So become a widow so that you can be who you really are. For on the other side of that death, you will come to know that you fully belong to God. Because you do. And you'll come to know on the other side of that death that the only thing that God most wants is for us to live like we belong to one another. Because that's all that really matters. Trust me, the widows have taught me that. It's messy, and it's holy. It's messy, and so utterly holy. Amen.